0: This is People Every Day. Coming up... I can now look up from all of that and look over across the room, and I still see my friend.
1: Michelle Obama tells people all about her and her family's year in quarantine. Plus, the ouster of Pierce Morgan amid the continued fallout from Meghan and Harry's Oprah interview. And the debate over Britney Spears goes to Congress. It's March 10th. Hi, folks. Welcome back to People Every Day, presented by Macy's. I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein, bringing you the biggest entertainment and human interest news out there. Today is Wednesday already. This week feels like it's really moving along. Uh, Later in the show, we get to delve into the life of the awesome Michelle Obama. Uh, Senior Politics Editor Sandra Soberai Westfall takes me through her latest sit-down with Mrs. Obama for this week's cover story. And the former First Lady gets really candid about life at home, with her girls in quarantine and getting that old thing back when it comes to her relationship with her hubby. And we know who that is. So you do not want to miss that. Uh, But right now, let's dig into the news. First up, I'm joined by People Senior Royals correspondent out of the UK, Simon Perry. How are you doing? I'm very well, Janine.
2: Nice to to speak to you today.
1: I know. I'm so happy to have you on the show for the first time. This is exciting. Uh so l- let's dig into the continued fallout from Megan and Harry's Oprah interview. Uh like today a lot of the talk surrounds broadcaster analyst Pierce Morgan, right? And and how he has just become a, a whole other tangent in this story. So so let's tell people a little bit about what happened recently on Good Morning Britain, his show. He's a
2: controversial figure. He's set himself up as being quite antagonistic on on um, issues that he feels strongly about. And over the years, he, as an anchor at Good Morning Britain, has made it a big part of his show to call out Prince Harry and Meghan. And on Monday morning, straight after the interview aired on Oprah, of course, on Sunday with you, he continued his um what has become a regular thing with him just calling them out on 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 the things he doesn't agree with but this time he went really really far and in terms of questioning whether or not um Megan was even telling the truth about her own suicide fears that she spoke so movingly about of course to Oprah he, he said, I don't believe her. I wouldn't even believe her if she read me the weather report or worse to that, to that effect. Yeah,
1: uh, they got 41,000 complaints uh, that people writing into this. So, so let's listen in right now to what happened, you know, the, the big blow up between him and his colleague that
2: was aired. And I understand that you've got a personal relationship with Meg Markle or had one and she cut you off. She's entitled to cut you off if she wants to. Has she said anything about you since she cut you off? I don't think she has, but yet you continue to trash her. OK, I'm done with this. No, no, no. Sorry. No, uh, uh, right. sorry. Do you know what? That's pathetic. You can track me, maybe not my no, 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 no. See I'm, you later. I'm being... Sorry, can't do this. This is absolutely diabolical behavior.
1: And so he he left the show. He just gets up and leaves the show. But it it was reported by ITV uh, that he is no longer on the show at all. He confirmed that. Um, But you got into a little bit of the the weeds in terms of the relationship between him and Megan. So can you just explain
2: that a little bit of what his his colleague was talking about? Piers has claimed to have had a close relation, not a close relationship, but a friendship with Meghan pre-Harry. I think when Meghan was a young uh, actress and so on, and Piers Morgan is a former tabloid editor. He uh, used to edit the News of the World and the Daily Mirror here in the UK, and he's drifted into television. And I remember him from yeah, CNN. Yeah, and he became a CNN talk show host as well. And he clearly comes across showbiz personalities. He met Meghan, and he thought, as Alex, um, his colleague, was saying there that they had a friendship and that uh, soured around the time of the wedding i'm not sure exactly when and since then, Piers has frequently called her out uh, over the, her treatment of her father and things like that. Uh, and they regularly have her father on on Good Morning Britain as well.
1: And so he's and you've seen his his tweets lately since all of this happened, since he walked away from Good Morning Britain, where he said, like, you know, essentially, I stick by what I had to say, and this is free speech. But on the flip side of it, you have so many people coming out in support of me. I mean, from Beyonce to Serena Williams. Um, to just fans who are are pouring out their support for her. Um, Do you feel like it's as split over there as it's making it seem?
2: Well, over the Piers Morgan incident, I think there is much more support for Meghan. Um, And the fact that ITV, his employer, moves so quickly to remove him, um, I think speaks to how much, how the depth of feeling, uh, how strong the depth of feeling was. And it's important as well, I think, to note that a couple of Mental health charities, including the leading one in Britain called Mind, made a very strong statement about his lack of respect for her. Uh, wanted to tell her story
1: but i want I want to talk about uh, just the Megan and Harry side of things uh, we I know from our sources we just put out our our cover story on this we have some more intel about some of the things Megan was talking about uh, specifically let's go back to that wedding um, and and the issue with Kate uh, what do we know now um, that wasn't completely laid out in the Oprah interview about what really went down between them
2: well um As uh, Meghan said to Oprah, of course, she called up that incident that had been said that Meghan made Kate cry over a a bridesmaid fitting involving Princess Charlotte, we understand. And um, that was the original story and uh, one that we've reported to. But Meghan said it's not quite as simple as all that. It was I who cried. And in fact, uh, Princess Kate came to me and apologised the following day and brought me flowers and so on. We understand that both women left that incident, that moment, uh, in tears and uh, were clearly upset by the row or whatever was said. Uh, We don't know what was said. I don't think Megan even said the other night. And I think that's a lot of what's gone on since the interview is... A lot of talk about the perceptions of some instances and episodes. I think they hinted at that in the statement, right? Recollections vary is how the Queen put it. And when, when you talk to family members, no doubt the Queen's been talking to her. And we know she's been talking to her son, Prince Charles and and Prince William at the very least about this. They've been in talks since since the Oprah interview aired. Whether they will be able to sort this out in private or whether they will be able to keep other revelations or reflections coming forward um, is another matter of course but um it is important to know that you know it was megan's story the other night it was her side it was prince harry's side about their difficulties and their challenges as the queen put it but other people will remember things differently and uh, along the way for no sure. doubt
1: simon thank you so much for taking me through this and and giving me that uk perspective
2: no problem we'll do it again one day i hope
1: Now, guys, I am joined by managing editor of People.com and one of my favorite cultural commentators to get into it in a good way uh, about (laughs) what is going on with Britney Spears. Charlotte Triggs, how are you?
3: Hey, I'm good. Thanks, Janine. How are you doing?
1: Okay, Charlotte. So... Let's break down the latest in the ongoing Britney Spears conservatorship saga, Uh, of course, still in the wake of the framing Britney Spears documentary that aired not too long ago. But now somehow this whole debate has now made it to Congress. This debate has made it to Congress. Right, Charlotte?
3: Yeah, which is somewhat surprising. I'm not sure that I've ever uh, witnessed a precedent a uh, similar you know situation to this but um congressman matt gates who's a republican out of florida um has decided that they believe it's worth examining the conservatorship because he believes that they're responsible for protecting citizens of the United States from being exploited financially and, you know, in other ways. And it's all just very interesting because I, for the life of me, I can't think of a, any kind of similar situation. Like, what?
1: And and then also, like, you know, he's joined with Congressman Jim Jordan, who is a, a ranking member in the midst of everything else going on in America. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, I think that that, uh, that might be a bit of an unpopular look. I don't know the, exactly what the motivation is for examining this. It just shows the level of scrutiny I will, she really um, experiences kind of scrutiny that's almost unparalleled, and unfortunately, in her instance, it's like so much of it is documented in court documents that people do have the right to kind of probe through. Although, I will, I guess, I should add that you know, recently she kind of in court docs had had her lawyer say that they wanted things to be transparent because they wanted her fans to be able to be kept up to speed and have access to the info. So. I don't really know what what's going to happen here. It's interesting. Uh, so,
1: Congressman Gates and and
3: Congressman Jordan are very plain
1: about this. They name names in their their letter, and they basically say Britney Spears is an example of the system not working. The system regarding you know conservatorships and, and guardianships. So, uh, I, I guess I'm just wondering what is Jamie's response to being implicated in regards to this whole debate.
3: Yeah. So obviously they felt compelled given the huge national implications um, to make a statement on this. And the lawyer points out something interesting, which is that um, they believe that Brittany could at any point that she has the right to request out of the conservatorship and that she hasn't that over the course of these 13 years that she hasn't done that. Now, that goes slightly counter to what we heard from Brittany herself in A documentary that was shot in, I believe, late 2008 for MTV, where she said that she's sad and that she would rather be free. But saying that one has feelings about something and then taking specific legal action is not, not the same thing.
1: I I just pin this on the power of the Internet yet again, because when I think back to the beginnings of this free Britney movement, it is just basically stands who are, you know, blast and hit me, baby, one more time over and over again, saying we want more. (laughs) We want more. And now they have made it to congress it
3: is pretty shocking that it's gotten this far honestly because you're right the free reading movement at first was not seen as anything um legitimate it was like the underbelly of the internet and there are people you know people in on the jamie spears side of things would indicate that he has really had his daughter's best interest you know in mind here that it's like there was a dire situation back in 2007 when the the need for this was first necessitated by um, all of the things that happened as she was having a, a mental breakdown. And we, there's also things that none of us know. You recall from the documentary, there was a lawyer that she had retained to, um, to represent her. The judge dismissed that lawyer, saying that she didn't have the wherewithal to actually hire her own representation. So there's stuff that we don't, we just don't know here that we'll never be able to really have a full grasp of of how serious things might have been well i will be
1: watching her instagram to see her response to this however coded it may be i want to know (laughs) i want to know what Brittany herself has to say charlotte thank you so much thank you next up getting into michelle obama's candid new interview with people sandra soberai westfall stick around I don't know about you all, but if there's one person I just cannot get enough of, it is former first lady, and I will say Black Girl Magic poster woman, Michelle Obama. Uh, that's why I am amped to chat with our senior politics editor, Sandra soberi Westfall, who just interviewed her for the umpteenth time for this week's cover story, all about her life now in quarantine and, and her and Brock's new kids show, Waffles Plus Mochi. Uh, hi, Sandra. How are you? Hi, good. It was great to see you. I always love talking to you, but this interview makes my degrees of separation from my girl Mish, as I call her, even closer.
4: So thank you. You and Barack. I still can't get past calling her Michelle. uh, I'm sorry, Mrs.
1: Obama. Yeah. I, know, I know, but the book, the book made me call her Mish. I don't know why. It's probably because I haven't had to, you know, be in her presence. And well, I, I remember meeting her once in 2011. Um, I got an invite to the the um, 4th of July uh, event that they did on the lawn then. And I got to shake her hand. I haven't washed this hand. Since, that's a lie. But, <laughs> but I was very excited. But I, again, you have interviewed her so many times. Tell me about the evolution of Michelle Obama and you your eyes.
4: You know, when I first met her, it
1: was in a park in New
4: Hampshire in 2007. And her husband was still in the Senate. He was still a long shot candidate for the 2008 Democratic nomination because Hillary was in the race. John Edwards was in the race. And, you know, I was going to meet her and all I knew was she was a Harvard and Princeton grad and this high powered hospital executive. And I was intimidated. I thought, you know, oh geez. And I mean, we sat in a minivan in the park parking lot and talked and she talked about breastfeeding and her first job interview. And it was so easy, but she right away was like, I hate politics. Um, I went to my first job interview with my breastfeeding infant in the stroller next to me because I needed to nurse. And and it was just, this is who I am, people, you know, uh, take me or leave me. And she has not changed since. Uh, interviews with her are tricky only because, you you start to get going and she is, has been known to say some things that she probably shouldn't. (laughs) And her, (laughs) her staff has to sort of stop or, or text in the middle, like that was off the record. That was off the record. Um, and, and it's usually stuff about the girls or about, you know, how she felt she looked in a certain dress that she wore and, you know, stuff that just sort of you know, talk about the girl's code, the stuff that you wouldn't kind of betray anyway.
1: Well, I love that and I love that you are able to you know, just get that um, out of her because of your, your long relationship. So let's let's actually talk a little bit about what she said about the girls during this very crazy time for all of us in quarantine. What it's been like in their household uh, both Sasha and Malia were back home, right? Malia's 22 now, Sasha's 19. Um, so so let's Let's listen to a little bit of sound of what she had to say about, about their quarantine bubble.
0: There's something about witnessing your your children become adults and developing a different relationship with them. You know, they didn't come back into the house into the same set of rules and because I didn't want them to miss out on independence. So they, they're, they came back as young women um, and... Our conversations are are, are more um, peer oriented than they are uh, sort of mother to daughter, uh, and we've had some amazing conversations—a chance for me to explore how they think about the world, how they see themselves in the world, what are their fears and their worries, how are they as students? I mean with everybody homeschooling. You know, it was interesting for me to kind of listen in on some of their classes to hear that how they interact with their professors. I mean, things that we just never would have known when your kids are off in college, you don't get to see that part of them.
1: Michelle and Obama are just like a <laughs> Michelle and Barack are just like like I'm thinking about, yeah, it's the it's the same sentiment. Like I have my my 5-year-old son and I'm like I would have never been involved in his first grade class the way that I am. So to see that she's having that same just newness with her kids is so inspiring. Right. Well, it's
4: uh, like I said to her kind of in the chit chat that, um, you know, it's like all the mothers who go a little bit early to pick up at school or daycare just to sort of spy on their kid and see how they interact with others when they don't know mom's watching. And, you know, the fact that she she's doing that exact same thing and kind of getting to eavesdrop on the girls classes to hear how they, how they interact, I thought was super interesting and uh, making kind of the most of the experience, but her girls have been home this whole time.
1: Well, so, so there's been those highs, but of course there have been the lows as well. Um, in this situation that we've all been having to grapple with, um, let's listen to what she talked about in terms of some of the the heavier moments that existed in, in 2020 and how that affected her. We, we were
0: still living in that the, the world um, and you know that was during a time when a lot of hard stuff was going on. you know we had the Black Lives Matters protests we had the, the continued killing of, of uh, uh, black men at the hands of police um, s- just seeing the video of George Floyd. Experiencing that eight minutes—that—that—that—that's um, a lot to take on. Not to mention. Being in the middle of a quarantine, I mean, there. What I what I was saying then is like, de- depression is understandable in these circumstances during these times, you know. Um, and to think that somehow that we we can just continue to rise above all of the, the shock and the trauma and the upheaval that we have been experiencing without feeling it in that way is just unrealistic. Yeah, and and she. Did she explicitly say like she had
1: quarantine depression or or, or what she was going through? Because I I know in the story as well, she talks about um, George Floyd and how that affected her. So Uh, how did did she go? She flat out says she suffered some depression. She calls it low grade
4: depression, but depression. Um, And it wasn't just COVID. It was she said it was really interesting that even in isolation, we were still living in the world, you know, and all the while still the COVID stuff, right? She's worried about what her girls are are missing out on. She's worried about her mom, her mom's in her eighties and hundreds of miles away, living alone in Chicago. So there is all of that going on. Um, you know, I asked her how she dealt with the depression and she said, look, I'm 57 years old. I have perspective. So, you know, she, which is what I tell my girls is this is part of life. This is part of mental health. You have ups and you have downs. Fortunately, my, my downs don't outnumber my ups. And she, you know, was, Able to kind of steady herself through it. But she said the perspective is that, you know, this is one or two years and things will get better. And remembering the civil rights movement and and the whole arc of history of civil rights in this country, she said she knows this isn't
1: the worst of times
4: she's just super comfortable in her own skin and really fearless um yeah I mean, and helped. she also has
1: she also has that great great partner as well and and you guys talked about her and you know the former president's relationship um and how uh you know they went through their hard times and and came out the other side so so lastly let's just listen into what she had to say about Barack we
0: had a strong enough foundation you know, before the White House, before the kids, before careers, it was just me and Barack, you know, together shaping our lives, building a friendship, being one another's everything. And thankfully, that's what we were able to return to once the White House was over and the kids were grown and you knew they were okay and you'd have time to devote your energy elsewhere um, I am happy to say that I can now look up from all of that and look over across the room and I still see my friend.
1: Oh, I love it. There are some couples out there on The Verge that are going to hear that. and <laughs> be Like, OK, let's work this out. Let's hold on. Because they really are those role models, right, of that there are going to be highs and lows. But if we can do it, you guys can do it.
4: Well, and this traces back, I mean, she mentioned that's why we write about it. And, and this traces back to her husband's memoir in November, where he I mean, he really shocked me because we knew that Michelle had gone through that she hated politics, that she went Through a lot of stress during the White House years with all of the criticism and the responsibility she felt as the first Black first lady not to ever put a toe out of line or have a hair out of place. So we knew about her internal angst through all that. What we didn't know until her husband's memoir is how much it affected their marriage. And he wrote about long stretches where she wouldn't talk to him, where she couldn't smile, where they would lay in bed together and he would think you know, are we ever gonna get those easy um, days back? Would she ever smile the way she used to? Would would our love ever be unencumbered the way it used to be? I mean, it was really searing stuff. And I, I've wondered since November, you know, what she thought of him writing that. And, you know, she she talked about how those days have come back um, because all that stuff, that other stuff in their marriage has been gone. The angst of raising children, you know, the kids are launched and now they're at this whole other place. And now it's just her and him and they can focus on what drew them together in the first place. Um, So they're really, yes, so many marriage lessons from Mrs. Obama, parenting lessons. I've learned a lot through um, all these years. of of getting to chat with her. And I hope our readers have too. I hope we've adequately shared all of her great wisdom.
1: Awesome. I I feel as though we have thanks to you. Uh, Sandra. thank you so much for taking me through this amazing interview. I always love talking to you and vicariously talking to Michelle Obama. (laughs) Thank you. That was senior politics editor Sandra Soberai Westfall, who's basically Michelle Obama's BFF. For much more on her interview, head over to People.com and pick up this week's issue for that cover. But before you do that, you guessed it, something to make you smile. Singer Kelly Rowland's son, Titan Jewel, is only six, but he's already got a knack for impersonations. Take a listen.
0: Oh, I'm Steve Irwin. Look at me. Let me show you some snot
1: let me show you some snikes (laughs) little titan does it way better than me and of course he's pretending to be the beloved late crocodile hunter steve irwin using a full-on almost spot-on australian accent the star posted the sweet video to her instagram and it made me think of new ways to liven things up for the kiddos in quarantine well good day mates (laughs) talk to you tomorrow